If you make a decision that a group of experts thinks is unwise or dangerous, does that mean you've lost your marbles or you should no longer be allowed to make your own choices? Well, that question was at the heart of a recent court case in Hobart. The Supreme Court of Tasmania has handed down a ruling in favour of an elderly man who's only known as Jay. Jay succeeded in convincing the judge to overturn a decision of the Tasmanian Guardianship and Administration Board, which had appointed a guardian to control his affairs. Kate Hanslow is a Hobart lawyer and she's also a researcher with the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. Kate, who is this man, Jay? What do we know about him? Jay was um, an elderly gentleman who, it seems, had lived a fairly private life, fairly sort of recluse, didn't have a lot of friends. He lived his life on a uh, yacht and had undertaken some works to convert that into his home and, and that was where he lived. And... A little while ago, his yacht actually ran aground in a storm, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. So um, it appears there there was a storm and it, for whatever reason, led to him attending a pharmacist, at which point they recommended that he take himself off to hospital with a suspected gangrene foot. And certainly that was the diagnosis. And despite their efforts to treat that, ultimately the gentleman had to have his leg amputated above the knee. That's terrible. So, so, so the right leg is amputated above the knee. And then what happens at that point as he begins his recovery? He certainly had a period of time in hospital while it appears that he um, undertook some treatment, of course. It reached the point where, you know, he was soon to be able to be discharged from hospital. And the question then arose as to whether or not he could return to living on his yacht. And so as part of that process, there were some occupational therapists and a um, a social worker who went to his yacht to assess that to see whether or not it would be suitable, obviously, because of his change in physical circumstances. And they assessed the yacht and determined that, in their opinion, there really wasn't a way that there could be modifications done to make that yacht safe for him because he was, at the time, um, subject to being in a wheelchair. So that was the advice that he was given. But, but, but he makes it super clear that he intends to return to his yacht, his home, that's what he wants to do. And I think he says, look, I'll park it in a marina and everything will be okay. I'm up for this. That's right. I mean, he was absolutely adamant that it was his home and, you know, he'd lived there. It was his lifestyle. He was very comfortable there and he did not want to contemplate circumstances where he wasn't able to return and was just absolutely adamant that despite the advice that he was being given, that he did want to return to his home on the yacht despite his medical condition. Okay, so the occupational therapist and the physiotherapist, they say, we don't think you can return safely to, to the yacht. Those treating him at the hospital have concerns. What do they do at this point? What's occurred is one of the social workers at the hospital has made an application to the Guardianship and Administration Board um, seeking the appointment of a guardian for the gentleman to make decisions about where he was to live on the basis that it was their opinion that he didn't have 
have the ability to make those decisions for himself, as evidenced by the fact that he, you know, was having this fixated position that he did want to return to the yacht despite it being the advice that it wasn't safe. So they've made an application to the Guardianship and Administration Board and the board then heard the matter and ultimately decided that a guardian should be appointed. So essentially the hospital wants to force... Jay to go into some kind of what supported accommodation or at least accommodation on land, conventional accommodation on land, uh, and definitely not return to his yacht. What is the competing evidence which is heard at this board hearing? Well, we had conflicting medical evidence presented both for and against the view that Jay had a disability that meant that he was unable to make decisions. So a cognitive he... disability, right? Not, nothing to do with the amputation correct. of his leg, yeah, right? Yeah, that's correct. A, a disability that affected his ability to make a decision. So uh, typically, um, well, certainly it's the standard procedure that when a person files an application to the Guardianship and Administration Board, they must file with that application a healthcare professional report. And and that's a standard form that sets out the nature of the application and the evidence put forward to establish the test that the person has a disability and that that disability means that they can't make a decision. So that healthcare professional report was submitted as is standard practice. And one of the questions on that form is, does the proposed represented person have a disability? And that box was ticked. It stated that the gentleman had cognitive impairments, that he lacked insight and had poor judgment and poor decision-making skills and very much it would seem that the focus was on those poor judgments being demonstrated by his refusal to accept the medical advice. So that was the first piece of In other words, the fact that he wants to go back to the yacht and he's, to use their terms, fixated on that indicates that he's unable to make good decisions and therefore needs a guardian. The types of decisions can be a relevant factor, but yes, it does seem that that was the focus in, in, in demonstrating the lack of um, ability to make decisions. So that was the first piece of evidence. And then the Royal Hobart Hospital had also had a psychologist who had assessed Jay and um, one of the, the well, interesting and critical factors was that Jay really didn't want to participate in cognitive assessments and medical assessments because he was quite concerned that that evidence was later going to be used in a guardianship and administration board hearing. So he perhaps didn't comply with their requests to undergo assessments and that made it difficult for them to provide medical evidence. There was no neuro, um, neuropsychological evidence. There was you know, no cognitive assessments per se. It was all largely based on their observations in the clinical setting where they'd observed him on a number of different occasions. So this psychologist had given evidence that Jay had quite rambling speech, that in his opinion, Jay wasn't able to weigh up the consequences and implications of his actions and again referred to him having limited insight about his medical conditions. So the psychologist concluded that there was likely some form of cognitive impairment but didn't go as far as saying that he actually did have a disability and that necessarily that disability then affected his ability to make a decision. And Jay also had his own expert witnesses as well, didn't he? Exactly. So, yeah, Jay, it seems along the way, has um, engaged his own geriatrician to provide a report. And so he has complied with that assessment, obviously, because that was on his terms and he'd um, engaged that specialist. So 
The geriatrician provided competing evidence against what had been submitted in the application and said that, um, in her opinion, she couldn't find evidence of cognitive impairment, that Jay had performed quite well on a mini-mental test um, and had, to her, demonstrated insight about his condition. And she put forward some other evidence that sort of suggested that he, uh, you know, was making good decisions as well as this perceived bad decision. He had above average problem solving skills. Um, And then she commented on some of his personality traits and perhaps those features that might have been misinterpreted in her opinion to suggest that he had cognitive impairment. So things that like he spoke quite quickly, um, you know, that he hadn't led a conventional life and that he didn't have a lot of friends, that sometimes he could be long-winded, but they didn't necessarily indicate a cognitive impairment. So he's a quirky, headstrong individual. That would be sort of what sort of comes through the judgment, yes. I mean, I suppose that's what her observations were, that they were more personality trait characteristics as opposed to necessarily a cognitive impairment. So, Kate Hanslow, the board did appoint a guardian, but Jay was not happy with this, and he's obviously a man with some means, so he appealed the ruling to the Supreme Court of Tasmania, and that decision was just handed down very recently. What did Justice Wood decide to do, and and for what reason? So, Justice Wood um, ultimately determined that there was insufficient evidence of a disability and insufficient evidence that any disability was affecting Jay's ability to make a decision. And she also determined that there was no need for a guardian in the circumstances. So, on all of the grounds that Jay had put forward in appealing the decision, he was successful. Justice Wood looked at the fact that there was an an inconclusive finding. There was a presumption of cognitive impairment, but no actual definitive diagnosis of a disability. So what's the big picture take-home message from this decision? I think there's a lot of really important points and fundamentally what Justice Wood was really clear on emphasising is a person's ability um, to make their own decision and then the need for personal autonomy and a person's right to make decisions and particularly decisions about where a person is to live and their lifestyle is so fundamental to a person's human rights. So that really needs to be the focus. But I think she also looked at... um, the fact that, you know, we all should be able to make unwise decisions and act contrary to advice if we want to, and that is our right. Um, everyone needs to have the right to make a bad decision. Um, and just because somebody's making a bad decision, we need to not take an overly paternalistic approach to protect that person or ensure their safety, that if that's their decision and they are able to make that decision, then that should be it. People are entitled to make decisions um, in the best interests as they see them rather than somebody, you know, superimposing upon them what they think is in their best interest. Yeah, very much. And so we've got these overriding um, guiding principles of the Act and one of those is that we do need to promote a person's best interests but balanced with that is the fact that we do need to take into account people's wishes and be as least restrictive as possible because when we're appointing a guardian, we're taking away a person's 
right to make their own decision about fundamental things like where they live. So we do need to exercise some caution and really only do it in the most extreme circumstances where it's necessary. I mean, what was basically what the judge saying was, look, the the, the hospital was trying to shoe her, shoe, shoehorn its concerns about uh, his, his physical safety uh, into some kind of um, definition of him or some kind of finding of him as having sort of cognitive disabilities or deficits when really he just had a, a resolute and fixed determination to live in his home. And, and that, that doesn't mean he's not all there. Yeah, I think what Justice Wood was really emphasising is that there's cause and effect and, you know, the effect and what seemed to be given focus was the fact that he was making what was perceived by the hospital as being a poor decision. But really we need to look at whether or not he can make decisions, what the cause is and and if there's an underlining um, impairment that means that he can't make the decision or if it's merely the fact that he's, you know, exercising his right to make a decision as he sees fit. Mm. Kate Hanslow, do you have any idea about how Jay is is travelling now? I don't, I'm afraid, sorry, no. No, no, but I mean the judgement did sort of indicate that he had had improvements with his health and medical condition and he was at the time of the hearing um, taking steps to try and have some modifications made to his yacht so that he could return, but no, I'm afraid I can't give much more information. Things such as always having an alarm on him just in case he was incapacitated or had an accident, sort of taking sort of precautions. It seemed like, um, you know, whilst there did seem to be an emphasis on the poor decision of wanting to return to y- to the yacht, there was also evidence put forward at the hearing that, yeah, he um, was getting an alarm so that he could be safe on the yacht and have access to support if he needed it. He purchased a smartwatch so that, again, he had access to communication tools if he needed them. And he had engaged a private occupational therapist to give him some advice about how modifications could be made. And at that stage, he had perhaps acknowledged that, uh, you know, if if all of these alternatives are exhausted and there's, there's no other alternative, then perhaps he might need to seek alternative arrangements. But he certainly was seeking to pursue other options first. Mm. And it'd be lovely to know how he's uh, w- w- how he's doing now, but but he he doesn't really want to talk to the media or, or have his lawyers talk. So uh, unfortunately, that remains a mystery. Now, look, Kate Hanslow, in your capacity as a researcher with the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute, you wrote a review of the Tasmanian Guardianship and Administration Act 1995, and that was released, I think, or completed. That process was completed late last year. When you were trying to work out how well this act works and and whether we've got the balance right between these issues of, of, you know, autonomy on the one hand and best interests on the other. What were people telling you as you went about this process? Well, I suppose from one perspective, certainly there was a lot of individuals and stakeholders in the area that were saying, you know, this this is for its time, it was quite a contemporary piece of legislation and it, it has served Tasmanians well. Um, but on the flip side, certainly there was strong support for removal of some of these sort of paternalistic notions of best interests um, on the basis that, you know, it does result in protectionist attitudes and a focus too much on a person's safety as opposed to their their right to make a decision. So one of the things that we recommended in our our report is removal of the preconditional, the elements of best interests tests within the Act so that very much the focus is on um, a person's views and wishes, you know, wherever possible. 
Mm. Uh, do other jurisdictions have a different model or see things in less black and white terms? I think we're all, to a degree, um, going through processes of legislative reform at the moment. So there's varying levels across the country and, and it is state-based legislation. So we have quite different models within each jurisdiction. We have had some reforms in Queensland recently and there's a debate ongoing in Victoria as we speak, I, I think, about some reforms to their Guardianship Administration Act. So we are starting to see some reforms and those are all very much consistent with removal of the best interests approach and an approach based on the person's views and wishes. And that's consistent with our obligations under Australia having ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Kate Hanslow from the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. She conducted a recent review of Tasmania's Guardianship and Administration Act. And look, a few hours ago, I received an email from Jay's lawyers with some bittersweet news. The sweet news? Jay is indeed living on his boat and enjoying his freedom. The bitter news? The Tasmanian Health Service is appealing the decision that secured that freedom. So unfortunately for Jay, this legal saga is set to continue. Jay, an elderly man, will continue to have to channel his money and his energy into this litigation over whether or not he should be able to make his own decisions. That's the Law Report for this week. A big thanks to producer this week, Selwyn Cousins. Don't forget, you can listen to the Law Report anytime, anyplace by subscribing to the podcast, either at the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law.